Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelican. This is episode eighty-two, and we are doing something a little different tonight that we're, I guess, officially now calling verses because we never thought of anything else. Um, where tonight we are going to do kind of a deep dive on two movies: um, the Neon Demon from 2016 and Starry Eyes from 2014. Uh, Frank, do you want to go ahead and explain? You're the one that kind of came up with this concept. Um, do you want to explain like what it is that you want to do and why you thought of doing this? Yeah, I don't know what I want to do necessarily. <laughs> um, I, I've, I'd seen Starry Eyes a, a pretty, pretty decent amount of time ago, I think, like at least like three or four years, maybe five years. Um, when it was first on streaming, wherever it was, maybe Netflix. Um, I didn't see The Neon Demon until a few years after it came out, so maybe like 2018. Um, but when I saw Neon Demon, I was like pretty immediately struck by the fact that it was very similar in tone to Starry Eyes, which to me was kind of interesting just because um, Nicholas Winding Refn, who's the director of, does, do you think I said his name right? You said, it, right? you said it exactly right. Yep. Um, that sounded really sarcastic. I don't know why. No, that's, I looked it up. It's, that's right. Yep. So pretty well-regarded, um, artistic director, uh, known for kind of blending, um, I don't know, like kind of an art house sensibility with like a gritty realism. Um, Known, I guess, primarily, uh, what would you say? Probably for Brick and... Not Brick, yeah, that was... Um... Oh, right, the other one. <laughs> um, the um, Pusher series, that's Refn. Uh, Drive, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, Drive, probably, especially. Yeah, I think Drive uh, is had... probably the one that's uh, probably yeah. he's most recognizable for, I would say. Right, where, like, most people have seen him for the first mm -hmm. time. Um, then he made a really weird... I guess like incest revenge movie called only God forgives set in Thailand, um, which is pretty visually stunning, but I like plot wise, I don't even know if I can tell you now, like several years later, what the plot is. Then he made this movie and mm -hmm. I thought this movie looked pretty fascinating when I first saw trailers for it. But then I did, as far as I know, it never came out around us. So I never got the chance to see it in theaters. And it was one of those things where I kind of just forgot about it. Right. Um, so seeing it a couple years after, like, again, it was something I was really looking forward to, but then I was really struck by how similar it was to this, like, little low-budget horror movie I had seen, you know, a couple years before. So during, um, you know, the endless cycle that is our lives stuck indoors, um, I decided to watch Starry Eyes again one day, uh, just to have something to watch, and realized, like, how much I really enjoyed it. And was, again, like, immediately struck by the idea, like, man, like, that Neon Demon movie has a lot of similarities with this movie. So that's when I texted you and said, hey, how would you feel about doing, like, a, like a versus episode where we compare two movies that are really similar, um, either in tone or whatever premise. Right. And just sort of, like, talk about their differences and their um, similarities and kind of give a, this is the one that, you know, either one of us or each of us prefers or we prefer separately, depending. Sure. So I, in my thinking on this, um, I thought today, because we have actually purposely not really talked about these movies like whatsoever. 
Um, and so I, I really don't know what you think of them other than you recommended that I watch both of them before this podcast. Um, that's, that's all I really got. Yeah, um, I think it's entirely possible that we probably had like a 10 minute conversation at most about starry eyes. Maybe shortly after I saw it. Yeah. The fact, that you, the fact that you recommend that to me before neon demon might tell me something as well, possibly, but not necessarily. Um, so I think once I hear what you have to say about these, um, I, I think it's very possible this podcast episode could last any like 20 minutes or uh, an hour. Right. <laughs> so, so we're going into the unknown. You want to like, I guess I can just describe the two of them. Okay. First. So, well, yeah. So I'll go ahead and do what we normally do. So Neon Demon is from 2016. Nicholas Winding Refn um, is the director. Elle Fanning is the primary uh, lead it also stars Jenna Malone, Keanu Reeves, Christina Hendricks, Desmond Harrington. It has a 59% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a 51% from audiences. So just... what, am I telling you about this movie now? Yep, go ahead. Okay. Um, so it's a pretty, pretty simple premise, I guess, um, for his, I don't know, like... I don't know the word, like not not even complicated, but definitely layered, I guess, as this movie is. Um, young girl moves from the Midwest to Los Angeles to become a model. Um, is kind of immediately like picked up by an agency because she's young and she's beautiful, um, and starts to kind of garner the enmity and jealousy of other models. Um, she goes from being a homespun. Um, I almost said starry-eyed, which whatever, but uh, like a homespun, uh, naive, waifish, like young lady into being uh, um, someone who really appreciates their fame and then someone who revels in their fame over like the failures of others, I guess, maybe. Um, so she goes from being like really personable and genial and friendly to kind of being callous and mean-spirited and um, turns on a guy that kind of helped her out and took her first pictures and sort of turns on her friends. Um, and then, you know, I guess we really have to talk about, like, these movies in full if we're going to compare them. Um, right. Spurns the affections of a lesbian... Uh, what is she? Like a makeup, makeup artist, artist yep. basically. Um, who then helps two other models cannibalize and eat her. Um, one of which like takes to the cannibalism with a plum and the other one can't really stomach it. Um, so she's dead and in living inside them, I suppose. And that's pretty much the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, it's very Lynchian, like almost to a fault. Like it's very reminiscent of... Inland Empire or um, Elements of Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive, sure. Uh, Lost Highway, somewhat. Mm -hmm. um, especially in like the the use of color and the use of dark. Um, it's a visually like completely visually arresting movie. It's mm -hmm. there's a lot of scenes that are um, stunning. I would say, for lack of a better word, but there's also a lot of stuff in it that's just kind of crass, maybe. Or maybe it's, like, too pretentious for its own good. I don't know. Mm -hmm. 
Um, mm-hmm. It definitely revels in the idea that it's shocking you, mm. but it's doing it about characters you don't necessarily care about because mm. there's almost nothing relatable to these characters. Mm. Like, probably the most relatable character is the the Oki like boyfriend who she quickly abandons, you know, he's not even a boyfriend. He's this older dude that was taking pictures of a 16 year old. Right. For the double purpose of like trying to, you know, sleep with her and also trying to further his own career as a photographer who affects, but, but, but also feigns that he doesn't want to sleep with her once. Oh, right. He affects his pretense, right. right yeah. That like he's this noble man and, he cares about her for her personality and it's not just her looks and right. everybody sees through that. And then she's too. So that, that, that's actually kind of like the linchpin of her turning into this callous, you know, fame fueled like monster, basically. Um, none of the transitions necessarily seem natural in the movie. Mm-hmm. And again, like the ending is just really, if, if it's dense symbolism, then it's denser than I, I mean, I guess, like, you, you can see all the symbolism, like, pretty easily. But it's, I don't know, it's not anything that you necessarily care about when it happens. And... It, it, it is, and look, this is, uh, shit, this, uh, this probably is going to be a 10-minute podcast, because, like, I, the things you've just referenced are the things I have written down here, that, like, thoughts I've had about this movie, because I think I have grown to dislike it more the longer I've thought about it. Um, even though I agree it's brilliantly directed. Um, but... Um, I, to that point, the last point that you just made, I, I feel like when I always talk about the idea of movies work really well when the subtext and the text kind of work hand in hand with one another, um, I feel like the, I feel like that's not here or maybe it, or I'm getting confused because maybe it is, but maybe that subtext almost like supersedes the text yeah. in some ways. And so I, to me, it like, it, it left me with this feeling when I was first finished with it, that while it could be tense and uncomfortable at times, um, I felt like the being kind of pretentious or too artistic um, and this element of the subtext thing made me felt like I didn't understand the damn movie. And I knew I understood the movie but it right. left me with this feeling like I didn't understand the movie. Um, right. When you're watching the lesbian gush gallons of blood from her crotch. Yes. Like, it's like, oh, uh, what am I going to, what, what, what am I taking from this? Like, right. And again, yeah. like it's, it's, it's a crazy scene. Like it's very mm-hmm. memorable, but sure. Memorable for what, you know I mean? Just the imagery. Yeah. yeah. I know this is comparison, comparing Starry Eyes and Neon Demon, but think about something like, you didn't like this movie that much, but something like Under Silver Lake mm-hmm. that's similar in the idea of like the seedy underbelly of Hollywood type thing or like sure. what's the price of fame, which I guess is like really the theme of, you know, a lot of these movies. Mm-hmm. I think that... Um, Andrew Garfield is much more relatable as a character. Agreed. Because he has sort of an outsider's edge to the people that are famous that he's interacting with or like the beautiful people that he's hobnobbing with. 
Um, right. Where, you know, Elle Fanning, like, again, like, you know, you're kind of creepy, opportunistic, 20-something photographer and fucking probable child sex hustler scumbag Keanu Reeves are the two closest things you have to, like, relatable characters in the movie. Possibly. Um, it's a really crazy character for Keanu Reeves to play, too. It, it is, but you know what? Like, when you actually step back about what we really know about the male characters in this movie, because there are very few male characters in this movie, um, yeah. uh, at least in terms of screen time. Um, it's Keanu's, like, kind of like, a, yeah, scummy, like, landlord, uh, you know, um, character, like, desk yeah, manager. manager. Yeah. Right. Him, the boy, um, the photographer that's played by that guy from Dexter, and um Well there's yeah. two photographers. Well there's not. There's one photographer and then there's the the, the guy the fashion designer, right? Yes, the fashion designer is sitting at the table, right? So those are like the four real main male characters that take place throughout all this. And they're all definitely presented in a certain way where you make assumptions about their the inner workings of their mind um but we actually what the i think what is fascinating about this is that you don't know um because it's like keanu like has like one of the more horrific lines in the entire movie where he says something to the kid at one point it's like something like there's like a 13 year old in like the in the apartment next to her like you know you should check it out you should check it out um but it's like you could take that line to be that he's actually giving that advice or it's like he kind of thinks he sees through this kid and it was and is being you know like being extra in terms of being a scumbag to sh- tell this kid I know what you're about. Um, right, but then later on like shortly after that happens um, she comes home the one night and after spurning the advances of the kid in the parking lot, like someone tries to break into her room, and then when that fails, breaks into the room of the presumed thirteen-year-old and commits some sort of act of violence against her. Well, right, so. and, she has, and that's when she has the dream, which is a really horrific, like image, like the 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 dream where it is Keanu in the dream, right, right. Uh, with the knife, yeah, yeah. where he like basically forces her to like forces a knife like down her like wide open mouth while right. she's laying down, which is really horrific. But I mean, again, we don't know that though, is what I'm saying. It's like, he actually does keep it so that you don't know what actually is going on in the minds of these male characters necessarily. Sure. Um, it's, it's, it's all these kind of like unknowns. And I think it's still very cool what he's doing there, because I think what he's doing is that here's men controlling a lot of what happens to these young women and we don't know anything about them, but we can certainly make assumptions, but we actually never hear the them really come out and fully express who they are, um, right. despite the amount of control and power that they have. So, well, they don't um, have to. I mean, because they're in control of everything. Right, right. But I, but I, I do find the whole thing really interesting um, when you don't actually know that they're that they're scumbags. And then it's also that women are the, the people that are set up to be the predators. You don't really have a lot of evidence to suggest they are predators. And then in the end, it's women who both 
literally, I guess, and metaphorically, like, um, consume uh, Jesse. Yeah. You know, so it's like there's a little bit of it where I'm like, e like what? Where's this guy going with this now? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think you're given enough. I don't know that I care enough to yeah look at it beyond like just a very basic art house vision of like what's the price of fame in Hollywood? Like yeah. what what do you what do you sacrifice or what are you willing to risk or whatever i guess to be famous yeah i mean i don't know if the idea there is like that you're setting them up as these potential predators and that's what's going to be our her undoing but it's actually other women that are her undoing um and even if that's supposed to be like shocking or if that's supposed to be a twist necessarily regardless of what the intent was the way it comes off a little bit by the end is like um I don't know. It makes me question things. Yeah, I can see that. Do you want to talk about Starry Eyes? Yeah, um, because, yeah, I think we're going to have to start getting into things with Starry Eyes and versus this here a little bit. Um, so Starry Eyes, 2014, directed by the duo of Dennis Winmeyer and Kevin Kolch stars Alex Esso, Amanda Fuller, and Noah Segan. It has a 74% from critics and a 55% from audiences. Okay. Yeah. Um, Starry Eyes is uh, like at a very basic level pretty similar to the story of Neon Demon it's a, a girl who's kind of this girl is attractive but like maybe a little awkward um, mm -hmm. she's trying to make her way as a uh, an actress in Hollywood um, working at a basically like a low rent Hooters um, living with a group of people or living with one of her friends in Hollywood. I'm not really able to make her rent. Um, she's gone on some auditions and been turned down, but she gets an audition from this really well-regarded um, horror production company. That's kind of been out of the limelight for several years, um, which in her opening role, uh, her opening audition, she kind of, initially fails to impress the um, casting agents until they she goes into the bathroom because she's so disappointed in herself and basically self-abuses by pulling out her hair and bashing her head. And that's um, witnessed or kind of like overheard by one of the casting agents who then call her back in and have her do it like in front of them, which then is intriguing and she's brought back again um, where she's brought in for an audition with the head of the production company who basically implies that he wants to have sex with her and that's the way that she's going to get the role um which she turns down but then she goes back to um the side story is that most of the people that she associates with in life are pretty awful um very similar again i guess to neon demon where um there's some abject jealousy from the other women that are around because the men um, kind of show a level of uh, um, like interest in her. Um, so long story short, I mean, this is taking a long time to explain. Uh, she takes the role. She basically, you know, performs fellatio on the guy. 
Um, she starts to get really sick. Like her hair falls out. Her skin like starts to like sloth off. Um, she's like visibly ill. Uh, she kind of is becoming like almost like lizard-like or whatever, like corpse-like. Um, she murders everyone that was her friend. And then in a crazy like ceremony um, is buried and then rises again as sort of an immortal part of this group and has achieved the fame that she wanted, like at the expense of sacrificing basically everything that, you know, you as the viewer see as her previous life. Um, pretty, pretty well done movie. Um, I think it has some, especially the first time you see it, I think it has some surprising uh, kind of plot twists to it. Um, mostly because as a character, the main actress is built up as pretty relatable and um, somewhat charming, like in a disarming kind of way. Um, you sort of feel bad for her in the fact that people treat her so shitty and she's kind of um, at the mercy of like this like scumbag producer and the fact that she self-abuses because she has such low self-esteem. And there, there's a lot of stuff they do with this character that makes her relatable and kind of makes you feel for her. Mm -hmm. um, and then to like basically have her turn her back on all of that and become, you know, like a murderess really in the span of like an evening. And that's the thing that actually lets her achieve what she wants, which is like fame and stardom. And I guess basically eternal beauty is the implication of it. Um, really well done. Um, I really like the idea of it being like this almost like cult horror film company that's doing these things. It's kind of like worshiping the devil and right. making these packs for like immortality and fame and riches and whatever. And um, I think that there's a lot of influence maybe on a um, Ari Aster, maybe mm. or no Eggers. No. Aster. Uh, hereditary. Yes. Aster. Um, in the sense of the way that he films, like, some stuff in Hereditary, um, especially with the fact that the the cult isn't full of just, like, young, beautiful people. It's, like, older people and um, people that aren't necessarily, like, attractive, but people that have done something in order to gain some sort of favor from, you know, whatever, some evil source. Um, I think it's interesting to watch, like, what I think is probably relatable to a lot of people who have done try to pursue their dreams, which is taking a job you feel like it's beneath you and it's kind of humiliating, but you do it because you have to pay bills. And then, you know, she takes this chance because she thinks she has this job and she quits the job and then she has to go back and kind of like beg this manager that who's not even like a bad guy. Like that's the other thing. Like no one, the person that's probably portrayed the worst in this movie is the one um, romantic rival for the one guy's affections, like the other girl, mm -hmm. who even in the end, like, doesn't come off as a bad person, just as right. maybe self-conscious and, you know, insecure herself, and is just kind of trying to use an right. easy target to make herself feel better about, like, her own physical appearance, her own, you know, like, failed dreams as an actress. Um, so I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff in it. Um, I think for a low-budget horror movie, 
Um, I think it takes some risks, and I think it succeeds pretty well in most of those arenas. Um, I think by taking a character that starts out on the bottom instead of one that, like, in comparison to Neon Demon, where the character is pretty much towards the top right from the beginning, Mm -hmm. and it's her own inadequacies that lets her, like, sink into being a lesser person. Um, Having someone that starts, like, towards the bottom and then gets these small victories and realizes what the cost is and almost completely withdraws from the endeavor because she's afraid of, like, how much she's going to have to give up, but then wants it so bad that, you know, she goes back to it. Like, I think mm-hmm. that all that stuff is pretty fascinating. I think it's really well done. Um, I think the main actress, I don't even know her name, is really endearing. And, Alex uh, really, S.O., yeah. Mm-hmm. has a really great performance. Um, and I just, I, I love the way it's shot. I love the way it looks. I really like the fact that it's not the richer side of Hollywood. Like, it's a dude that lives in his van and this group of people that shares a house. I mean, it reminds me in a lot of ways, like, our friend that living in Los Angeles now who's in a, been in similar situations where you know working a couple jobs in the restaurant industry trying mm-hmm. to make his way you know in like mainstream Hollywood and like having to take all these different jobs and interacting with all these different people and like a communal living situation I think that's kind of a fascinating look at it so mm-hmm. I think if you're going to do the price of fame type thing I think that's how you have to approach it really which I think is why, like, from a comparison standpoint, I would argue that Starry Eyes is far more successful in that realm than Neon Demon is. I mean, even though I think you can see in a lot of ways that Refn is a superior director, mm-hmm. like, at least from, like, an aesthetic standpoint, um, I think that he's, you know, I, I think that it's brilliant, like, the visuals of Neon Demon, but I don't really think you get as much heart as you do in um, uh, Sorry Eyes. I agree. And going back to a point you made earlier when you were talking about Neon Demon, I think that um, a lot of that does come down to the main character. Um, I think that not only is... Not that I think um, Elle Fanning's bad in that movie, but I think it's the way the character's written. Right. No, it's a a good performance. I mean, she's she's as good as she can be with what she's given to do. Mm -hmm. Right, and the I character, think that, the, that character herself is pretty empty. I mean, in a lot of ways, you know, she's she doesn't think she's talented. She doesn't. She has no self esteem. She just knows that she's pretty, right? And she's going to use that, right? And that's in the first ten minutes of the movie, almost that she like has that point of view, and that's all you get for the rest of the movie. It just becomes heightened over time. Right. So one of the things that I thought was an interesting point in comparing these two movies, and a question I wanted to ask is, is it somehow because Nicholas Reffin, while not being like, maybe like mainstream successful in Hollywood, had definitely been known in Hollywood and had made eight or nine movies before he made Neon Demon. So here's a guy who's like had experience with not only success on a personal level, but seeing other people's reaction to that environment. You know what I mean? Whereas, like, Starry Eyes is coming from the perspective of kind of untested filmmakers, and it's, uh, I don't know, I just think it's a more interesting approach, maybe because it's filmed from almost an outsider's perspective. Right. Uh, I I think that... 
could be true, although I would bet that they're still right. You're right. It's an outsider's perspective. They're, the, the, the life that they're writing about in Star Eyes is probably very similar to a life that they knew, you know, that they probably lived, you know, sure. where Refn now is somebody who, you know, his movies is, you know, being shown at like, you know, major film festivals by this point. Oh, right. And like he was the, the indie darling of the year for, um, for Drive. What, sure. Two years, three years before he made this movie. So. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I guess four years before. Like Something Drive. like that, yeah. 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 So, so, yeah, he's... Um, I also think, and this is going to sound worse than what, how I mean it, but it's like I think he's been there and... In, in the major leagues to some degree for so long, he's also been long enough to get his own head up his ass. Yeah. And while he's a really talented director in terms of this story, I think that it's really pretentious and very confused. I, I think, I don't think it is confused. I, th- I think that he's made it confusing by trying to, like you said, like mimic like this, like Lynchian style and stuff like right. that. Um, in order to make it weird and kind of mysterious, where I think that Starry Eyes actually is kind of mysterious. Like, where it's like, we are asking in Neon Demon, what's all this about? Like, you know, what's going on here? It's like, in Starry Eyes, you're actually engaged, and you're asking what's going to happen next, which is what you should be doing in a movie, rather than saying, what's this about? You know? Um, I mean, honestly, you don't even know for sure until it's too late for both you and um, the main character, whether or not the things that are happening are actually happening in the way that she perceives them to have happened. Agreed. Like, there's a lot of times where she kind of feels almost like an unreliable narrator in the sense of, like, okay, well, maybe they're just weirdos, you know? Like, maybe there's nothing insidious here. I don't know. Like, I... I mean, sure, when when you have, like, you know, whatever it was, like... Oh, was it like a mountain lion or something like that? Like, I don't know animals that well. Um, oh, in uh, Neon Demon, yeah, it's a mountain lion. It's like that, the deep-throating a knife dream. Like, when you have stuff right. like that, like, you know, presenting themselves, like, yeah, I think you have to start calling in to question whether she's reliable or not. But that's not something that's ever really carried through on. Um, through Other than those, like, couple of things, really. Um there's also, I guess, like, the whole, like, you know, um, she does, I guess she has, like, some hallucinations, like, after the whole thing where the girl, like, sucks her blood, like, in the bathroom. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's some hallucinations there as well. So, yeah, I mean, but, like, that that's not, like, really played with to me, necessarily, but it's possible. And that's what I feel like that whole movie is. It's just a bunch of different possibilities where, again, you just don't really feel like, you know, what's going on. Um well, my problem with that, too, in a way, is that, I mean, ultimately, like, both movies are about, like, whatever, the price of fame, but Neon Demon is about a much more niche industry to me. Agreed, yeah. Especially one that, like, I think that, like, most people at some point in their lives, I know I have, have thought, I could go to Hollywood and be an actor, or I could try my hand at, like, writing a screenplay or making a movie, especially if, like, you love movies, like, you thought of those things. But I don't think I've ever really thought, man, I could go be an actor or a model. Right. Or I really wish I was part of the high-stakes world of, you know, fashion modeling, aside from, like, 
admiring like Linda Evangelista in 1994 or whatever. Right. So I don't know. I just that is a model, right? Linda Evangelista. Did I get that right? I believe so. Like a Victoria, one of the first Victoria's Secret models, maybe. Um, I think that that also makes Starry Eyes a little more relatable. Yes. And I don't know. Yeah, I, there, there's a directness to Starry Eyes, I think. Like, you know, I mean, I, I think there's a rawness to it, and I think there's a directness to it about, like, this, like you said, it, it all comes down to character to me. And the fact that it's like you have anxious millennial every girl trying to live her dream and you know there's obvious like anxiety issues there's probably like some small depression issues and she kind of gets this opportunity like through chance and you see the excitement let's like think about like Elle Fanning in that movie like uh, Jesse like in Neon Demon you really don't get to see her all alone that much and when she is alone it's like hallucinations and it's like right. you know being frightful like you actually get to see um uh you know so in this movie like be giddy like alone over the fact of like she got this call back and you see that slow descent into so when like you know suddenly like the Elle Fanning character in Neon Demon is like standing on the diving board and is like you all want to be me it's like um, and there's like no soul there left in her. Like when she's saying that, even with this character in Starry Eyes, you see her, the way she delivers lines at some point where it's like she's sitting there and saying like, you know, you all are just jealous, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You still hear the hesitation in her own voice that she doesn't necessarily believe that or she's not sure she believes it even though she's trying to say it to defend herself. Right. And I think it's a much more complex and nuanced character um here that you can actually feel for and because of that you're wondering like you know like oh my god like, it's actually horrifying so when the body horror elements come into play on top of like the fact that like she's kind of you know you know uh, you know had sex with this guy and then the body horror elements start and then she ends up killing people it's like it actually feels um horrifying like you know where i feel like neon demon is this horror movie without any horror in it really it also feels like she's making a choice too at that point. Yes. To continue on as opposed to Elle Fanning, who's just kind of. Yeah. Um, I don't know what I'm looking for. Like, she just kind of more or less gets like drawn into it. Mm hmm. Yeah, you're right. Like, by her own like tacit um, acceptance and also just by other people. Whatever. I, there also is, like, no real transition. Like, I guess you kind of just said that, but Al Fanning goes from being, like, you know, nice and friendly and charming and quiet to being just, like, a complete jerk. Right. And, like, a complete egomaniac in the span of, like, half an act of a movie. And, and, so it doesn't and, really feel as earned as um, right. Yeah. The it, it, if that, basically, it's like this makeup artist comes on to her and she rejects her, and then it's like, two minutes later, like, she's like, you all hate me because I'm beautiful. Like, it doesn't, it's, right. I don't know. Like, it's just, yeah. It's really weird, like, the way that that comes about. Um, I, 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 I like Starry Eyes. I, I really like Starry Eyes a lot. I think it's a really solid movie. Um, 
and I really like the idea of like the suspense elements of it. I like the body horror in it. Like I like the occult stuff that you were talking about with like I was Australia's pictures. You know, yeah. um, I really like that stuff a lot, and I really like the actress that plays that lead role. I think she does a really great job for a really complex role, and um, I'm really surprised I haven't seen more of her. Um, she was a uh, Wendy Torrance and. Um, uh, Doctor Sleep, mm. um, as well. But like that's pretty much movies the last year. Yeah, and it's like that's pretty much uh, all she's done. You know, like I mean, like except for stuff like you know here and there that you wouldn't know. Um, so yeah, that was that was surprising to me because I think there's like a real rawness to her, like when she's like doing that stuff where she's pulling out her hair and like all that kind of stuff. I mean, um, it actually felt like real to me as opposed to just like staged. Seen a couple of movies that are uh, either in production or in post production. Mm. Well, maybe she's finally kind of, you know, finding some stuff. I also f- think this fits in much better, um, even being earlier than Neon Demon with um, uh, contemporary like Me Too type stuff. Um, again, I think yeah. Neon Demon confuses the issue too much. Where I think this is, um, again, right, in some ways, there's almost a uh an unspoken approval on Refn's part of maybe the idea that, like, it's freely given, it's not taken. Mm-hmm. Or, like, there that really is, like, what you have to give up to... I don't know. Anyway, I, I think Neon Demon is a really interesting movie to watch from a visual perspective, and mm-hmm. I kind of think that there is a place for it. I think certain people would enjoy watching it just from that like aesthetic perspective, but I don't think it's necessarily an enjoyable movie. And I think the Starry Eyes is a movie that, you know, as long as you can kind of stomach the gore that it works and it's it's worth watching. So Right. And I think it's because Starry Eyes ultimately is like to some degree a tragedy, even because she's true she is choosing these things but she's also in a position where it's like how else is she ever going to make it if that's what she wants right and it, it ends up becoming a tragedy about a character that's relatable where neon demon is a character like you said like the characters aren't relatable um and i think it's just weirdness for weirdness sake at times like and honestly like alex so's character mm-hmm. even though she sacrificed all the stuff like she still is getting exactly what she wants so right you know, fucking um, Ellie Fanning just gets consumed in the end. Jesse was her name or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just like completely consumed by the people she wanted to be like. And one of them can stomach it. One of them can't. And the other one has some kind of blood orgasm because of it. So, <laughs> Right. And it's like, you know, the thing is, is like I read that um, that scene with Jenna Malone and um, the corpse um where uh she's doing the makeup on the corpse and like ends up like mounting the corpse and you know and then pleasuring herself um was filmed pretty early on the process and that was not in the script and it was through her method that she ended up doing that um and then it made refin kind of like change elements of the ending based on that and it's like if that's really the process and the way that happened if what i'm reading is correct it actually says a lot like about that movie then at that point is that um 
maybe he really didn't that, have. Um, I think that Refn has always been a guy that's sort of open to the idea of collaboration with his, his actors. Yeah. I don't, th- sure I, don't, that, I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily, but... I'm pretty I, I just, sure there's a similar story in Pusher. Mm-hmm. One of the first two Pusher movies with Mads Mikkelsen, where something similar happened. Yeah. Maybe even that Mads Mikkelsen wasn't supposed to be in the second Pusher movie, or there wasn't even supposed to be one, but it was his performance that allowed it to happen because Reffin was just so taken with the way that he like made the character his own or something. Right. It's, it's something similar to that, but I know that definitely Reffin has this ability to like bond with his actors like that so right and maybe that makes him a good director from an actor standpoint but i don't know that it makes him necessarily a good storyteller that interesting of a movie just like i don't know that a movie about the fashion industry is something that i necessarily find interesting to watch so sure but that's just me i mean I don't yeah know, maybe yeah more. right i mean I, I, still, fashion, so. I still think though that that movie could have been a lot more interesting than what it was um, i agree I think, I think it's a waste of a horror movie. I think it's a main yeah. a mainstream movie that could have been a mainstream horror movie, and been moderately successful. I think and forced yeah. itself into being like a niche, not even like genre movie, just like some weird, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, I always it's, take personal offense when horror movies that have the ability to like make something of this, make something of themselves do that. Yeah. I mean, it just comes off as this kind of um, uh, indulgent um, derivative echo of something else. I mean, that's yeah. Um, um, okay. I mean, I, I I don't know if how much. I mean, if there's anything else more to talk about, to uh, to me, it would be going like almost like in the weeds at this point of yeah. The, yeah the I don't I, like. I think we covered it. Yeah. Um, so I do want to uh, just. I guess briefly at least talk about um uh Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, man, that's fucking crazy. Yeah. Um you know, I mean, this is the guy who has, you know, what like 10 movies to his you know, um resume and Yeah. But he um I mean, the thing is, he's not going to be forgotten anytime soon because, I mean, he's one of the biggest black icons um, in cinema and will be for a long time because of that role as Black Panther. Um, but it's just amazing to me, like, that guy just kept that hidden for four years and just continued to just put out movies, like, and just, you know... Um, Did you see that his um, his last film, The Posthumous be released posthumously mm-hmm. is an adaptation of my rainy's black bottom i did yeah that's pretty yep. interesting yeah it is um yeah i mean he's a guy in everything that i've seen him in including like an episode of fringe you know is always like you know does a good job you know what he's doing um it might not knock it out of the park necessarily when i see him but um he's always good i thought he's really good in the five bloods um which was the only thing recently i've seen him in um yeah, I kind of want to watch that um, James Brown biopic that he's right. in, and um, I wouldn't mind watching uh, Marshall or uh, Forty Two. Right. Yeah. But he's, I think, amazing as Black Panther. I think one of the best performances in the the current MCU. I guess um, it's a shame that I don't know. I mean, it's crazy. Like I said this in private text to you guys um, the other day. Like we 
and talking about it is you think somebody that's like that wealthy and famous, like right. how can that person die at such a young age of something like that? You know, yeah, like that's, how that's is true. there how is there not enough money or not enough whatever to like get this man the medical help that he needed to live? And it's yeah. just I don't yeah. know, it's really really yeah. like a stark reminder of your own mortality that absolutely and, and colon cancer is one of those things like it's, it just takes you so fast a lot of times like you yeah know, four and, years I mean, that's... yeah because he started out at stage three and through treatment like was able to go four years till he got to stage four um and you figure that we've seen movies with him where he definitely had to have at least like known you know that he no absolutely i mean yeah he would have had to have known what during uh, black panther right that's um, 16, right? Or 17, I guess. So three years. So yeah, probably during the filming, I guess, is when he would have been diagnosed. Yeah, 18 was when it was released. So yeah, he would have, yeah. Damn, that Black Panther's only two years old? It is. Jesus. It, it feels is. like we've lived like seven lifetimes in the <laughs> I know, right? Um, but yeah, so yeah, he, he would he would have known even when he took that role. Um now nah, it's 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 wild and it's I mean it's 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 really sad considering Very his age because yeah. he he would have had another you know good thirty years in him. Um, oh sure. You know, easy. I mean, it's not often where I really feel like personally affected by the death of someone famous, but yeah. I mean, I definitely think that there's something to be said for like I don't know, just his impact on people's lives and just the sadness of like someone so young and with such talent like being taken. Yeah. Agreed. No, it's um, no, it's pretty shocking. Um, when it came out Friday night or whatever, yeah. um, uh, it was it, it took me aback. Um, absolutely. I mean, what's your favorite um, what's your favorite Black Panther role? I guess, like, where do you think he's the best? Since like, that's what where, you know, where, like, is. like, where, where do I think like that character is the best out of all those movies? Is that what yeah, you're asking? Like, me? Which, which, which is his best performance as him? Where is he like utilized the best? I don't know. Like, however you want. Um, I would probably, having watched or rewatched all of them in the past like year or so um, that he's in, I would probably say, how which one is that? I guess it's uh, Infinity War, maybe. Hmm. I think there's some really good stuff with him. Like that's when like his father's killed and Civil War is where his father does. Oh, okay. I'm thinking of Civil War then. Okay. Yeah, that, that's that's the one I'm thinking of then. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I agree with that. That's that's okay. my as well. I think Civil okay. War. Yeah. I think it's the best. I mean, because you know the Black Panther character if you're a fan of comic books, but it's like the way they film it, it's just kind of is he fully trustworthy or is he someone mm-hmm. that's like on the side of like the heroes or is he completely self-serving? I don't know. It's just, it's a really good interu- introductory um, agree, agree. Yep. piece to him. And I, I really liked the solo movie a lot, but yeah, I, I love that performance. And so like civil war, you know, we, we've talked about this in our whatever Marvel overview, but we both like civil war quite a bit. Yeah. Right. And then we just talked about it recently again with the blockbusters, but, um, but yeah, I, 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 there's, there's things I really loved about Black Panther and there's some minor things that I didn't like as much, but, um, 
but it was still his performance is absolutely solid and um carries the entire thing um uh throughout to me um i'm assuming do you think maybe it's too soon to talk about this but it's like i'm assuming you think jordan takes over like once they rehabilitate that character um either that or the woman that played his um Mm. like his Kingsguard or whatever. Right, yeah. yeah. And I don't know that you ever have anyone be Black Panther, but I think that you do something... I don't know. Yeah. I think that like Wakanda is too rich of a... I don't know what you would call it. Like a, like a setting and a... Mm-hmm. Like the mythos of Wakanda and... Right. The fact that there's like so many kind of great characters... Um, you know, I, I I think you don't want to let it go, but I think you also want to be respectful to Bozeman and sure, like not let anyone else be Black Panther, basically. Yeah, at yeah. least not for a really really long time. Like I think that it's almost like the Christopher Reeve Superman thing, you know, like and sure. that's a lot more ignominious in terms of the last couple Superman movies, you know, than mm-hmm. the really great performances that Bozeman had in like all of his, you know. Right. Performances of Black Panther, but sure, yeah. Like, how long did they go without having another Superman really? Right. Unless you consider Dean Dean Kane or whatever is like young Superman, but Mm. Brandon Ralph. I don't consider. I don't consider Dean Kane. Two thousand five, I guess. Is the next one? So yeah, I don't know. It's true. Like it's hard when somebody kind of makes a character their own. I mean, the only character that nobody seems to care about is Batman because they'll just fucking recast Batman in like two seconds and sometimes have two different dudes playing Batman at the same time. Yeah, well that's because DC's a fucking mess and is awful, like, in terms of their film stuff. Real quick, since this is like supposed to be a full-length podcast, what's your feeling about that um, that Batman Year 2 trailer? I don't watch it. It's it's just called Batman, but... Is that the one with with Pattinson? Yeah, Ryan Pattinson. Have you not watched it yet? No, keep go ahead and keep talking. Um, I'm both incredibly turned off and super intrigued by it as a trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of things that are almost almost high camp, like to the point of being like Batman 1966 camp, mm-hmm. and then there's some things that are just so like spot on that I think it might be the best like it has moments where it feels like the best encapsulation of like what I think young Batman should be mm-hmm. um, so it's really weird and I'm my biggest problem with it as a trailer is that they play uh, a remix version of Nirvana's Something in the Way mm-hmm. which is a song about being homeless and <laughs> Right. having like mental problems um and i don't know that that necessarily applies to the batman in any way shape or form um but the scene towards the end of the trailer where they kind of ate the michael keaton who are you thing mm-hmm. and um Pattinson just beats the shit out of a dude and then says like i'm vengeance or something is is badass Mm -hmm. Um, and incredibly well done and I don't know if that's just the magic 
I don't know how much of my unease of the trailer is because the trailer is really poorly edited or the trailer is hiding how bad the movie is. So right. I'm willing to find out. I mean, shit, fucking New Mutants has like a 29% on Rotten Tomatoes and that's like my most anticipated movie in the next couple months, so. Yeah, um, okay, I, I just watched it. Um, so I... Yeah, I see what you mean about the editing of the trailer. It feels like a lot of things with DC where um, I actually find that problem with their movies a lot of times is I think their movies are really poorly edited together. Right. Um, it well, feels, they don't know what they want to be. Right. Well, it feels like a lot of those TV shows on WB to me, like um, in terms of like it's editing. Like it's it's almost like they use the same, you know, C-level uh, editors of those TV shows for their damn movies. And it comes off like, you know, I don't know, looking like shit to me. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know how I feel. I definitely don't think Pattinson fills out that mask very well. Um, so I think part of that in his defense is I think that's, I don't want to say on purpose, but I think that he's meant to look like, like a not fully mature Batman. Like he's somebody that's just learning how to fill out that mask. Right. I mean, like, I, I, I like the kind of disheveled, like, you know, I don't know where this is supposed to be taking place and kind of like, or what history they're using for Bruce Wayne or anything like that. But I do kind of like the disheveled Bruce Wayne look that's going on um, a little bit um, throughout it, like the kind of like, you know, longer hair and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I think he sounds good. I, I, I don't know how I like the look of him in that mask. But um but so I mean, to, I'm willing to give it a shot. You know? It's based on Batman Year Two. Did you right. ever read Batman Year One? I read Frank Batman Miller, Year One. Oh, yeah. Gibbons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Batman Year Two was something that came out a decade and a half after Batman Year One. Maybe not quite that long. I think Jim Lee is associated with it somehow. Okay. Um, that's sort of like the same idea. Like, hey, what's Batman like the second year that he's fighting from? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So not quite like, you know, fledgling rookie Batman, but like Batman's gained some enemies. I also like the fact that it's a uh, Riddler centric, it seems like. Right. Um, which is a character that I think has a lot of untapped potential. Yeah, and it's like a more interesting kind of psychosis than just I mean, Razagul, like how many times can you use that? The Joker, how many times can you use him? Right. You know what I mean? Like Bane is a boring villain to me. Yeah. But the Riddler is an interesting villain that's not only sadistic and psychopathic, but also deeply brilliant. And like the fact that he's enamored with like puzzles and riddles and yeah, I I, like, I, th- I think the Riddler and the Penguin have never been used to me like in the ways that they could be. Oh, you don't think Danny DeVito's Penguin is um, top notch, top notch material? The best Penguin is in um, which uh, which of the the Arkham games is the Penguin? Uh, he's in the first the second one. He's definitely Arkham in the second City? one. He's in City, definitely. He shows up in all of them in some way, but um, he's a little bit more prominent in the second one, I believe. He's he's the one that gets you in the fight with Solomon Grundy in the second one, right? Yes, is yep. that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that penguin is really good. I really like the. Yeah, he's in the last the, one, the one that frustrated me so much, and then I forgot that I beat it after I stopped oh, playing Arkham, it. Arkham Knight. Yeah. That fucking game. The fucking terrible movie. Her game. Yeah, but uh, 
he he's still in that as the same voice actor because I do like that voice actor for him. But yeah, he's in that, but it's um more side quests and stuff like that that you have to like seek out. But, but yeah, yeah um, I I always liked the look of the penguin. Um, I really love like the superpowers line of action figures from when we were kids, and I really liked the look of the penguin in that. Yep, I agree. Like that um. That combination of like the '66 Batman with like a little more of a yeah. less cartoony edge to him, like more realistic maybe, but mm-hmm. and I like the the way the Arkham series does it. So yeah, I never watched Gotham's, and I know that like the character that becomes Oscar Cobblepot or whatever mm-hmm. um, is in Gotham, and I don't know how well like they did that. Right. I feel like Gotham's probably not a very good TV show that people tell me is a good TV show just to make me waste my life. Is, is is people only he sure or other people tell you? No, there's other people that have told okay. me. I would like it. Um, yeah. Now there's too many seasons. I could never watch it. Like I think there's like it's over, four, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. But I think it's still like four or five seasons, and that's a 22 episode show. It's like Christ, I'm not watching that many episodes. But that's it's always my like that's always my excuse. Is like, oh, let me give it like. <laughs> that's the trick I always pull. I'm like, you know, like people that like oh like let me wait till it like has like three seasons and then i'll watch it because i want to be disappointed when it gets canceled and then it gets up to like eight and i'm like yeah i can't that's too much for me right um and you told me to watch terriers and i can't even watch one season of that so right like 10 episodes um all that i mean it's honestly it's 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 a great show but it, it is it's very disappointed by the end because there's not any more so um Quick plug for something that we talked about on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. Uh, watching The Haunting of Hill House again with my son. Mm. Well, I'm watching it again. He's watching it for the first time. Um, still friggin' brilliant, I think. Yeah. Um, and I find that I'm so much more impressed with, like, the actual emotional family stuff. Now that, like, I kind of am just watching the scares. Just to sort of, like, pick out, like, hidden ghosts in the background and shit like that. But... I really love, like, the family interactions. I think the show is incredibly, like, a really brilliant look at the dynamics of a family suffering through almost, like, post-traumatic stress. Yeah. The loss of a, of a loved one. Um, I don't I, know if you can call the show underrated because it's pretty highly rated, but it definitely deserves to be watched, yeah. considered, um, for, like, all of its merits. And it's just, it's amazing to look at. Like, yeah. job of and we were, and uh, let, uh, I'm not going to like pat our pat us on the back too much, but um, just we were on top of Hill House because that shit came out on a Friday, and we did a review of it. I'm pretty sure on Sunday. Yeah, because we both watched we, it. Right, and we did it. We did the podcast, and then we did like a, a a review of Hill House right after that. It's still like another like 35 minutes, I think. Right. Um, and we're on top of like how great that show like was like immediately. Uh, it's one of the only times we've been on that on top of something like. Super excited to see um, Haunting of Bly House. In a, I am too. Yep. A yep. month, I guess exactly. Yeah. Um, I I like the the turn of the a turn of the, the turn of the screw is one of my favorite kind of Victorian era horror tales. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's only been a couple of adaptations that are kind of like worthy of just, uh, I don't know how good that uh, novella, I suppose, is not really a novel is. Right. Um, but yeah, super excited to see what Flanagan and crew um, do with that story. And I think it'll be pretty amazing. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm I'm intrigued by it. Um, which, which one is his wife? Which Kate, character? Kate, Kate Siegel. Um, yeah, but is is that um? That's the one with the hands, Theo? I think. Yeah, Theo. Right. Yeah. Um, my friend Candace is obsessed with her. Um, and uh, noticed that is really worried she's not going to be in Bly House that much because like she doesn't have a character associated with her. Um, so I, I don't think that's the case probably at all that she isn't in it much. My guess is that there's, there's something that we don't know yet. Um, in terms of like the way they're going to do that show, that there's a reason they're withholding a character name. Um, Unless she's just the old headmistress. Could be. Could be. Or whatever you call her, governess, governess. Right. Right. That would be my guess. Yeah. Uh, hold on. Let me look up the cast. No, it's I, I looked it up on like Wiki and MDib, and she's she just doesn't have any name associated with her. I'm gonna see who else has names though, mm. and see if I can deduce my uh. Mm, oh yeah, I'm almost positive. Yeah, because I assume this Danny Clayton character, the Victoria Pedretti. Is the new um, governess? Um, Oliver Jackson Cohen. Oh, right, that's Luke. Yeah. Oh, that's a. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, like a lot of the same people are back. Oh no, I'm sorry. This. Uh, Taira Sharif. Mm-hmm. Um. That's the one that um, is the former headmistress, Rebecca Jessel. Because this Miss Jessel is the, um, I think. I don't know. Yeah. And I'm really excited to watch it. No, I agree. Um, same here. Um, <clears throat> okay. So next week, uh, our first episode of September, we're back to our top five list. We will be doing the top five acid westerns. And then the week after that, we will be covering the top five thrillers of the 2000s. And then at the end of the month, we will be covering the top five best movies that haven't aged well. Right. Um, the idea being, it's like none of them have aged well, but these are the best. <laughs> like there's so many movies that haven't aged well, but these are the best. These are movies that I still enjoy watching. Despite. Even though they make me uncomfortable for a gotcha. number of sociopolitical and moral reasons right gotcha um that's that, that's too long of a title so right 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 so um but yeah i've and i see i've watched two of them so far and i definitely see where you're going with it so um uh so that, that'll that'll be in that'll be an interesting list um i don't think you enjoy all of them as much as i enjoy them though <laughs> well i mean i've i've watched two I've told you both of them, and one I enjoy, and right. one not as much. But I think there's elements that I do enjoy. Like, I mean, um, so I, we'll we'll see. I mean, um, I don't know about the other ones on the list, but um, that'll that'll that's to be determined. But um, you mean TBD, right? Okay, right, so then. that's um that's what we have coming up for the month of September, and then the month of October we'll be doing a bunch of um horror related episodes, like we have yeah. been doing um you know, for the past two years. So, um, including a first watch of, um, child's play, I think. So with, um, 
with um, Bledsoe and Orion. So um, <clears throat> that should be fun. Um, but okay, uh, thank you for listening, everybody. I know this was different. It was uh, something a little new for us, but um, hope you enjoyed and have a great week. Yep, have a good night.